We're just going to do an introduction to Exodus this morning, and I, I'm not going to teach, I, I think I told you last week, uh, verse by verse through Exodus or chapter by chapter, but we're going to look at the, uh, not just the life of Moses, but we're going to look at the people of Israel uh, as we, we go through and uh, see the similarities to our lives and as they, what they faced in their uh, journey out of, uh, out of Egypt to Canaan. Um, I realize that we here this morning, all of us, we live in transition. I don't know if you think about it for yourselves. Sometimes I just think about, I just have a problem today, and I don't realize it's a transition, that I live in a transition, and my life is changing. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about just getting older, which is true as well, but I'm talking about things keep changing. Our world keeps changing. Uh, our circumstances change. Some of you, this past week, you sent your kids off to school. Some of you sent your kids off to college. Some of you, your kids may have left home. Some of you, unfortunately, they may have moved back home. Um, I, I'm just saying, and that's okay. You know, I'm just saying, we, some of us, uh, some of you have uh, lost loved ones. Some of you have been through surgeries. Uh, some of us uh, are dealing with the issues of aging, and um, many of us are dealing with that, we, we deal with the trials of life all the time. Doesn't matter, see, again, it doesn't matter where you are in that spectrum, age-wise or circumstance-wise. Life is a journey, and life is a trial, and we are uh, being tested uh, toward our, to, to the matter of our faith. And that's what we see in the nation uh, of Israel. I see Exodus as a testimony to God's sovereignty. God has a plan. He's always had a plan. He, he works it out in the life of uh, the world and the nations and Israel and me and you. He works out his plan in every single life that he has created. And if, if we would recognize that and, and understand it and bow to his sovereignty, um, we would be much better off as we go through the trials of life and the journey uh, of life. It's a testament to God's sovereignty. It assures us as we go through this that God keeps his word. In Genesis 15, God told Abraham that his offspring would be in Egypt for 400 years. And we're going to read in next week or week after, we're going to read that when they came out, they came out on the very day of God's fulfillment of that promise when he brought them out of Egypt. But when we go through this, um, I, I think the meaning of important of Egypt, not only is it God's sovereignty, uh, but we see the Passover. And the Passover is a touchstone for the Jewish nation. It even is even till today. Jews still celebrate, the, the, the Jews who are practicing celebrate Passover. Now, they don't sacrifice a lamb. They, they're not allowed to do that in most countries. They can't do that. But they still have the ceremony, and they still remember what it was. It was God's deliverance of them, God, God not just choosing them, but God delivering them, and God's faithful to them. It's a touchstone. It has been when you come to the New Testament. It's very important. And it is a type of God. Forgiving us in Christ. Uh, when you come to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is not our Passover, but it, it, it's a type, the, the Passover is a typology of exactly what happened. 
Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And, and when we uh, come to our salvation, we have a touchstone, and that is communion. Uh, we take communion, and we're remembering what Christ did for us. When they did the Passover, and still do today, uh, Orthodox Jews, uh, they're remembering that God delivered them out, out of Egypt. And so it, that's a, a very important type. There's a lot of typology in, uh, in Exodus. Uh, it's seen in the work of Moses, and Moses is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you just a, a couple of things. Moses set his, uh, led his people to freedom, and Christ uh, leads us to freedom in him. Moses, uh, like Moses, Jesus confronted a slave owner, Satan, and uh, through the manifest power of God forced him to relent, like Moses did Pharaoh, uh, like Moses, Jesus leads his people through the wilderness of this world. He intercedes for them, provides for their needs. And, and through both Moses and Jesus came a, a holy covenant between God and man. The covenant of Moses was temporary and could not ultimately save, but the covenant of Christ is eternal and it's superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on a better promise. That's Hebrews 8, 6. The new covenant results in salvation for all who trust in Christ. That's Luke 22.20, Hebrews 9.15. And then Jesus is the one worthy of greater honor than Moses. We read that in Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and verse 3. And I put that in the notes and I copy that from gotquestions.org. I've told you before, if you'd like to uh, pull that up on your computer, it, it answers a lot of questions for you. And I think they're very conservative. I think they're very... Uh, whatever I know, very theologically cor- correct. Um, and the, so the, the people of Israel are types for every generation. We get that from First um, Corinthians chapter 10. If you were here, we went through First Corinthians. We spent a week on, on that. We spent a Sunday uh, on that. I want to just remind you of it uh, in just a moment. We're going to read it or read a portion of it. But the people of Israel are types for every generation. Uh, We live in the wilderness. We are on a journey from our salvation to our Canaan till we go to be with the Lord. We live in a a wilderness, uh, a sin-cursed world that is a a wilderness that uh, left to ourselves would destroy us. Um, And because the whole world, the physical creation is under a curse and it would destroy us. And then the people of the world are under a curse, and they would destroy us uh, because I've told you many times the knowledge of Christ brings conviction, and until they're ready to repent, they're going to struggle against whoever brings that conviction. And so uh, only, only if we follow Christ in this wilderness, as the people of Israel did, are they blessed. And when they lose sight of him, and they lose, when they lost sight of following him, they, they were judged and uh, struggled mightily uh, in, in their journey. Uh, so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In the beginning, uh, remember, I'm going to just very summarize it very quickly. We're not going to, then we're going to look. Um, but it said they were all baptized. All these people who come out of Egypt were baptized in Moses under the, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. 
For they drank to that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, that's the first four chapters. I mean, first four verses of chapter 10. And, but verse 5, but, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, we know that that first generation, between 20 and 40 years old, died in the wilderness before they went into to Canaan because of their unbelief, or those over 20 years old. And then he says this in verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality, or ne- nor let us tempt Christ, nor complain as some of them complain. And then verse 11, I think it's going to be on the screen. Now, all these things happen to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition. All these things happen to them as typology. I'm going to use that word, same word as examples. means the same thing. We're written for our admonition upon, the, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The ends of the ages is from the time of Christ until Christ comes again. All, all, of, all the church ages, the end of the ages. This is, this is the... Well, God's final uh, dealing with the earth before the millennial kingdom. So that we, we live in this end of the ages. So it's examples for us during this time. And then he says this, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If we don't take heed to those examples, we're going to fall. No temptation has taken you except is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So as we go through this, I'm going to keep saying to you uh, that this is typology. This is typology. Now, there's a difference between typology and allegorizing Scripture. Uh, one of the early church writers named Origen, a very godly man, but he allegorized everything in Scripture. What he means that is that everything, Moses' rod meant something, and everything had a meaning that you could apply to that event. And that's different from typology. Typology means there's events that happen in the Old Testament that are a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the future. And that's what I want you to see as we go through this. As we go through this, we're going to see the tension between the sovereignty of God and the will of man. And uh, I, I don't think it's a surprise to you that that tension is throughout all of Scripture. That tension is there, and that tension is not only in Scripture, that tension is in my life, and that tension is in your life. And I'm going to give you my solution to that. Submit yourself to God in humility and say, the will of the Lord be done. That's it, period. Uh, because we can't figure it out otherwise. I, I'm not saying the solution is I got it figured out. The solution is I accept it. I accept it and I give God glory. I'm, I'd not rather live under his sovereignty than, than me uh, bargaining with him. Hadn't you? Um, because sometimes I bargained for things that were not good for me and, and, and won the bargain. It's like, well, I won't say what that's like. I was going to say that's like when you go to buy a car and they say, how much can you afford to, How much can you afford per month? That's the stupidest thing you could ever hear. You know, you know, I've learned that the hard way. Donna got, a, Donna got her first job in uh, 
what was it, Five and Dime in Odessa? I don't even remember the name it was, but it's a Five and Dime store, uh, which are not around anymore. We went that afternoon and bought a new car. <laughs> she didn't make enough to make the payments, <laughs> but we didn't know that. We thought we were going to be rich, so she, she just got a job, so now we're a two-income family. I think she made the dime, is what she made. <laughs> Uh, that's not in the notes. You won't find that in the notes anywhere. <laughs> and then the Lord saved us. Thank God. <clears throat> okay. I, so now we're going to look at we're going to look at it and just uh, remember that uh, these things happen to them as examples for us. And if we heed it, if we heed it, we don't have to experience it. Uh, may God help us to heed it and and say. Okay, I'm in a similar circumstance. I'm in this transition period I've just mentioned to you, and I'm not alone. This has happened to other people, and by faith, I can get through it. By faith, I can endure it. By faith, I can honor God through it. By faith, I can be satisfied with my life. By faith, uh, I can be, uh, I'm not saying happy. Happy is not a good word, but I can be joyous in Christ. Um, And so I'm going to accept uh, my circumstances, I'm going to respond to God and, uh, in a manner that honors Him and put myself under His submission and let His will be done in my life. Summary of chapter 1 is the family uh, of, of Jacob who comes to Egypt. Um, you know the story. It ends in Genesis. Uh, Joseph gets set ahead of time, and you come to the end of Genesis And Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people alive because in that famine that came upon that whole area, uh, people would have starved and the the family of Jacob would have starved had Joseph not been in Egypt and brought them down to Egypt and and helped them survive that famine. And so they they came in the second year of a seven-year famine and they settled in Goshen. Uh, Goshen is, the, is, is part of the Nile uh, floodplain, and uh, it is in the northern part of uh, Egypt, and it's the most fertile land there. It says that in Genesis, the best of the land. And they began to prosper there. And at five years, the famine ended, and they should have gone home because they weren't living in the promised land. They were God's chosen people who had promised to bless them in the land of Canaan. And now he protects them by bringing them to Egypt for the famine during the famine years. And they should have gone home, but they didn't. And the reason I'm saying they didn't is because they lived in the best of the land of Egypt. And we read that they prospered mightily there. I, I want you to... to uh, Read with me, and down in verse 7, I don't know that I gave you this verse, David, but verse 7, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. They prospered. Uh, This was the best of the land, and they did not want to go home. When you go forward into the history of the Jewish nation, 
under judgment. They're taken captivity by the northern kingdom, by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom, by the Babylonians, and they dwell in that land. And you remember, God told them, you're going to be here 70 years. And the reason it was 70 years is because they had not been keeping the Jubilee years, and God's requiring it of them because they lived under the law, and that was, they owed God 70 years. And so they're going to be 70 years in the Babylonian captivity, and then he said, you're going to go home. Well, when it came to him to go home under Ezra and Nehemiah, they didn't want to go. Only 50,000 of them went home. Um, and so uh, they went home to Jerusalem, to the Promised Land. Now, why didn't they go? Because this is where their families were. This is where their kids got married. This is where they maybe intermarried with some of the people of the land, and their roots were there. After 70 years, there were many people who were born in that land, and this is all they knew, and they were satisfied. Sometimes, as a Christian, I live in the world, and I'm satisfied. I, I, you can tell I, I, I have a good life. I have a good life uh, at today. <laughs> so I got up, and I, you know, and, but, but seriously, most of us in this room, we, we, we're satisfied with life. We have plenty to eat. We have a warm place to sleep, or a cool place to sleep, however you, however you like it. And uh, we drive cars that have air conditioning and heating, and we, uh, we feel fairly secure in our lives. Now, we may have some problems, and, and we do, and I've already listed those, but, but, but most of all, we are secure people in this world, and it keeps us sometimes, because we have a good life, it keeps us from longing to be in the presence of Christ. It satisfies us. It keeps us from living by faith. I don't want to risk what I have to live by faith. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I struggle with that. You probably struggle with that to some degree. I think to some degree we all struggle with that. It's a test of our faith. God is saying to me through his word, open your hand, release what you're trusting, and trust only me. Now, he didn't say to me, I'm going to give away all I have and live in poverty and live outside of, live in a shack. He didn't say that, but he has said to me, you cannot trust that. You cannot trust what, what you've accumulated. You cannot trust where you are in life. You cannot trust this world. You only trust me. I'm your provider. I'm your security. And he's saying that to you as well. The scripture says that to us all the time. But they're, they're, they're outside the land of promise, and they didn't want to go home. They could have gone home at any time. It was like a 10-day journey or two-week journey or something. And they lived in the land, and they prospered, and they were satisfied. But then we read in verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more than mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, let us multiply, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. So a new Pharaoh arises. The world system is always trying to enslave God's covenant people. I, I hope you're aware of that. Uh, we see it in politics. Uh, the world system uh, hates righteousness. And now why? Because it's a fallen system, and uh, it is a fallen system, and it is anti-Christ. I'm glad we have a Republican form of government, 
but I don't trust it uh, because it's run by people who don't, for the most part, who don't know Christ and don't care about righteousness. Uh, they care about politics. So, so now this is happening to the children of Israel. They've been there hundreds of years, probably at this point, probably close to 200 years. They're multiplying. They're a multitude of people. The Egyptians are now fearful about them, and so they begin to enslave them. And that begins about uh, 200 years somewhere into their time there. And so uh, they begin to enslave them. They begin to practice uh, uh, killing their children so they, and, and drowning the boys and killing the children. God uh, raises up some midwives uh, through the king of Egypt. Verse 15, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the one was, I can't pronounce the names, and then he said, do, the, do your duty, and, but we read in verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. He calls them, the king of Egypt calls them, and he challenged them, and uh, then we read this in verse 21, which I think will be on the screen. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. He blessed them, provided households. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Probably gave them children themselves, that they were blessed with the very thing they were trusting God to do. So he gave them children, maybe grandchildren, and he blessed them. So when you read the first chapter, it's about this people of God, the people of God, Jacob's family and what happened to them. Now they're multiplied. Now they're a great number of people. And they're in a foreign land, and they are basically out of the will of God, and chastisement comes. Um, when you read about the drowning of the male offspring, you recognize that in Scripture, Satan is always trying to kill the line of Seth, because if he can do that, Christ will never come. Christ cannot be born of a godly line. So he's always trying to kill off the, the Israelites. Satan has always had this anti-Semitic feeling in the world that he engenders uh, just so the, the Christ would never, never come. Typology, again. Chapter 2, uh, you get Moses' birth and early life. You're familiar with it. He's saved by an ark. I think maybe his mother remembered the story of Noah, so she does this little ark with pitch, just like Noah did, put him in the water, uh, and uh, the sovereignty of God brought the Pharaoh's daughter to rescue him and adopt him. That's the sovereignty of God. That's God working. So, out, out of all the places and all the people, who would have ever, that could have, that could have never statistically happened. That's the sovereignty of God at work. God's working his plan. So he not only rescues, God not only rescues Moses, but he gets his own birth mother to raise him and get paid for it. Uh, see, that's God at work too. That's God blessing his plan and his people. We read that Moses was educated in all the ways of the schools of the Egyptians. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 22 said Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. and all, all, So he, he knew philosophy, he knew languages, 
he, he knew every mathematics, he knew everything that the Egyptians knew, all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So here he is. He, has, he, he, he is a man of the world. He has all this understanding and wisdom. Uh, he has this privilege. He has this power. He's been groomed to be the next Pharaoh. And he gets 40 years of age, and God puts it in his heart. God puts it in his heart to care about his people, where he came from, the Jewish nation. God puts it in his heart to be concerned about them. He sees their enslavement, and it bothers them. And he wants to do something about it. So, all this preparation. When, when we read uh, that Moses was moved by God to desire more than Egypt had to offer, uh, we read in Hebrews 11, which is not going to be on the screen, but we read, He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the pleasures of Egypt. So he's admitting there's pleasures in Egypt, especially during the pinnacle. There's a lot of pleasures in, in this. This was an exceptional kingdom, Egypt was at that period in time. I mean, they, they, they had the wisdom. They had uh, understanding of technology, of understanding of mathematics, understanding of languages. They, they were at the pinnacle of mankind for that era, and uh, they were very advanced society. And Moses was at the pinnacle of that, but in his heart, he wasn't satisfied. That's God. That's the sovereignty of God. That's God at work. He's at work in Moses. He's at work in me. He's at work in you. God wants us to glorify him. And when we do, we have the most joy. We have the most peace. So, Moses desires more than Egypt has to offer. He's 40 years old. And uh, he goes, and we, you know the story. Uh, he responds in, to injustice, three different, three different incidents. He kills the Egyptian whom he sees beating a Hebrew slave. Um, and then the next day, or two, he, he, he sees two Israelites who are arguing with each other, and he tries to mediate between them. And, and this is what he learns. Number one, the Jews are not willing to accept his help. Number two, that he's in trouble with Pharaoh because he killed an Egyptian. And number three, then he becomes a fugitive. He flees to the mountains. Well, number three, when he gets to the, the desert, he flees to the desert. At Median, he drives away the male shepherds who are refusing water to the female shepherds. So he still has this leadership idea uh, and what's right and wrong. And even though it's not working out well for him, now he's in the desert and he's there for 40 more years before God speaks to him again and, and leads him again. And, and if you've read anything about Moses, you, you've read these statements that uh, he, he spent 40 years becoming somebody, he spent the next 40 becoming a nobody, and then he spent the next 40 years of his life acknowledging that God uses nobodies. And uh, God wants us to come to that place. And hopefully it doesn't take us 40 years. Most of us are not going to live to be 120 uh, if I do, I hope I have more new parts than I have today, uh, that, that uh, if I'm going to live that long. So we read this in uh, chapter 2 and verse 23. Read this with me. Uh, chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. They cried out. Their cry came up to God because of the bondage 
So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Just a couple of things uh, about this. Is that 40 years had passed, uh, God is not, had not been mentioned. Now, 80 years of Moses' life, God is not mentioned, uh, but now he is, and his interest is shown in these verbs. He hears, he remembers his covenant, he looked, and he acknowledged the people. Okay, so now God's active, verbs, God's, God's moving. Now his plan is going to be accomplished. Uh, Moses is in the desert, he finds a wife, a home, and uh, he marries outside the covenant people, and there's going to be problems because of it. We need to teach our kids that. You, may, you marry outside the faith, you're going to have some problems. I'm not saying outside your racial group or outside your age group. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you marry outside the faith and you're going to have problems. You need to teach our kids that. Uh, He has a son. He names him Gershom. I'm a stranger in a strange land. That's what it means in Hebrew. I'm a stranger in a strange land. So Moses is a stranger in a strange land. So, and now God calls him in chapter 3. Moses is called to service. So, uh, let's look very quickly at chapter 3 and then it would be done. Let me get to my note here. Uh, Chapter 3, burning bush experience. We're familiar with the burning bush experience. We read this in in verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he... so when the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then God said to him, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon the Lord. So God identifies himself and he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what that means when he uses his own name? I am the covenant God, because God made a covenant with those men, uh, a covenant of grace. So God is saying, I am a covenant God. I'm identifying myself to you as a covenant God. I will keep my word. That's what he's saying. I'm going to keep my word, and you can be a part of that. And then we read this, and... God explains his purpose, and then we'll be done. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression, verse 7, of my people who are in Egypt, have heard their cry because they're taskmasters. I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, bring them up from the land of the good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression, but with the Egyptians oppressed them, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses then says, in his humility, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'll tell you who he is. He is a man who had been prepared by God under the tutelage of the very best teachers in Egypt, so that one day he could have the access to Pharaoh. That's who, when he says, who am I that I could do that? It's not him, it's what God had prepared in him and God had prepared through him. 
And I, I hope you realize God's preparing you for ministry. God prepares you for ministry. Yeah, your ministry might be to your own children. Your ministry might be to your neighborhood. It might be inside the church. It might be outside the church. But God wants you to have a ministry, and he prepares you for that. He opens the door to that. He puts them in front of you. And, and then you either have to go around them, ignore them, or you have to minister to them. And, and, and it's true for every person in this room. So I, I hope you realize that's the purpose of God. God responds to him when Moses said, who am I that I could do that? Moses thinking about his own capability. said, you know, I tried that once 40 years ago, and it didn't work. I tried that, and I nearly lost my life. And so that's why I'm here in the desert. And so, anyway, God responds, and this is a great, great response. Verse 12, I will be with you. This is a sign. I will be with you. When you brought the children of Israel out uh, of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. And, you know, God's saying, okay, you're going to have this sign out here in front of you. And, and you know, we don't want that. We want, no, I want a sign today. I want, I want my faith guaranteed today. I want the results of faith today. I, I want a sign that's very tangible that I know that I'm on the right track and I'm doing the right thing and I'm blessed and I want, to be, I want that blessing to be today. And God didn't promise Moses that. He promised him it's out there in the future, but it's by faith. And then you have this interaction. Uh, God appeared, uh, take off your sandals, holy ground. Moses said, I can't do it, I can't go. And then God responds to him, verse 12, and we're almost done, when he said, I will certainly be with you. This shall be assigned to you. Uh, you'll worship on this mountain. Verse 13, that God, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And in this scripture, a person's name is their, their character, their identity. It, it is their person. And we don't recognize that today, but we acknowledge it. When I, when I say your name, I'm thinking of you, who you are, and, and, and not, maybe not all that you are, but I'm thinking of you, what you are to me when I say your name. And here God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am, and thus used to say to the children of Israel, I am have sent me to you. Okay, that's the, that's the foundation of everything in the book. I am. God is I am. God is present. God, God is sovereign. He is, he, is, he is holy, but He is everything. He is in control of everything. He is sovereign over everything. So let me go back to where I started. In, in my transitional time and the events that I face in my life today and tomorrow, uh, I need to remember that. God is I am, and I am his child, and uh, he will not forsake me. He, he will be with me. He will be with you. Now, let me pray, and then Harry brought a couple boxes of donuts. You probably need one before church. So, all right, pray with me, and we'll have a donut. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Uh, what we can learn from Exodus, uh, the life of Moses and those who followed him. And uh, Father, uh, might it be examples to us that we would miss the pitfalls and enjoy the glory. And we'll praise you if you'll help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
The Lord bless you. Have a donut, and we'll see you in church.